there's anything I can tell you, it's that the best place to hide is in your mind. So, we're doing, uh, we're doing Between Lewis and Lovecraft correspondence episodes now. Um, mm-hmm. because, uh, both C.S. Lewis, H.P. Lovecraft, Ernest Hemingway did it. Um, a lot of authors, um, and artists at, you know, back before the time of email and podcasting, they would mm-hmm. correspond with their peers and friends and family through letters. And yeah. it's highly inspirational to me watching them be friends with people, which is so weird to me because I'm not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Um, people are the worst. <laughs> yeah. Well, like, and especially like, especially once we started getting to Ernest Hemingway, because Hemingway was was a dick. An and, asshole. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but he also pushed people to be better. And he yeah. he was always a good writer because he always wanted to be better than everybody. And that mm-hmm. came out of his correspondence with his friends, like uh, Scott F. F. or F. Scott Fitzgerald. Um, yeah. And so, and then you have Lovecraft, who like he would he would constantly be writing to friends and fans of his. Sometimes they were fourteen year old boys that he would go be with for two weeks at his at their house. Uh, so you know, weird stuff. And then you'd have just Lewis, who would just write to his fans and and friends and. And then he yeah. eventually married a woman that he would correspond with. So, like, these are real relationships that people would build mm-hmm. over um, just talking and talking about yeah. the stuff that they were doing. So I wanted to start doing something like that with our show where, um, you know, I, I can chat with people that I enjoy being around, being with and talking to, talking shop and nerding mm-hmm. out about stuff. Um, and seeing what other people are really into, what kind of books and stories and authors. Um, And Britt, you went and just hit that ball right out of the park from the (laughs) get-go because you brought someone to my attention that I have 100% never heard of. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah. No, I, I always hate when people ask me, like, who my favorite author is to an extent because I'm like... You've never heard of him. <laughs> and I hate, <laughs> I hate to be that person. But, like, most people haven't, right. um, despite being fairly prolific. I mean, he's written 12 novels in a in a pretty small space of time. Right, right. Um, but, yeah. Do you, do you want me to just, like, launch into it? Yeah, let's talk. We can we can chat about uh, who you are for our listeners a little bit if you'd like. Um, sure, Britt, who who are you? Who the hell am I? No, no, who um, are you? I'm actually I'm asking an existential question. Who is hmm. Britt? Who is Britt? What is Britt? <laughs> uh, Britt is an idea. <laughs> Britt is no. Um, so I'm I'm just a little humble indie podcaster. Yeah. I make I make a silly podcast about failed inventions called contrivance. Uh Tyler has guested with us a few times yeah. and will again in the future. Yeah, as long as um, you are happy with that, I am happy with that. Hannah's yes, been on the it, show too. Yeah, Hannah's been on the show as well. Um she was maybe our most prepared guest that we've ever had, <laughs> uh, which no I, way. I appreciated that about her. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but aside from that, uh, I'm I'm just a boring suburban 
white lady uh i have I, i'm a tech writer during the day which is like just about as exciting as it sounds uh-huh. so uh-huh. yeah yeah I, you know what's interesting? I didn't realize that that was a job uh, before I met you. And then <laughs> and then now I think about it almost every single day. Because, Do you really? Yeah, because I see things that I'm like, oh, I wonder if I wonder if that would be like the sort of thing that she would do. Or like, um, what was it? I just saw, especially now, especially right now in the current situation, there are so many things that I see to help people not spread poopy hand water all over the place. Mm-hmm. And it's insane. And I feel like you're really silent and not there anymore. And I'm scared. No, to... I'm here. Oh, okay. I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> I laughed at poopy hand water. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't hear you laugh at poopy hand water. So I, that's why it's like, hey, if you're not laughing, I'm not talking. <laughs> yeah this is very transactional yeah but yeah um, so i see it all and i'm like i wonder if this is like the sort of thing that she does like she she teaches people through her writing how to not spread poopy hand water yeah i mean depending on like the company or the client i i work for a software company so currently i don't write about poopy hand water oh um too bad but i've i've written about all kinds of stuff in the past um i worked for a home repair company they mostly did like gutters and roofing um so i i know like more about those than i like way more about those topics than i would uh, not having worked there (laughs) yeah what more about it than you want to know i mean basically yeah i was like i was a a technical transcriptionist so i would have you know these um technical drawings with like really bad notes right and i would have to like draw that up into a contract and you know it was that was probably one of the most challenging ones that i've done and it paid the least oh really (laughs) that sucks yeah yeah but um i also worked for a library so they would have me write like we get a new piece of technology and it was just a bunch of like little blue-haired old ladies right yeah so um i would write up like an operating uh like a dumbed down operating manual on like <laughs> here's how you make copies the right way and don't waste all of the paper yeah yeah that's fun <laughs> yeah. but now i just write about software like a grown-up so right that's nice. you had to move on write about real yeah. life stuff yeah um and and you you talked about your podcast um what is it that got you into podcasting? Um, so I, I had about mm, a two hour commute that kind of that, that led to me listening to a lot of podcasts. Right. Right. Um, so I became really attached to a, a media empire, um, headed by the McElroy brothers. Yeah. Um, Good old McElroy's. Yeah. So I started listening to My Brother, My Brother and Me. That was like baby's first podcast. Um, (laughs) And now I I sample all of their other products as well. Um, But it really, it got me into like really, really into the idea of comedy podcasts. Like that was my go-to. I'll listen to some serious podcasts, but that's very sparing. Right. Um, 
But yeah, I, I saw a talk. I actually hadn't been interested in podcasting myself until I saw a talk that Travis and Justin McElroy did at GDEX, which is Gaming and Development Expo. This was in Columbus, Ohio. Oh, okay. Uh, we drove specifically to watch them uh, give this talk that we weren't like really particularly interested in the subject matter. Um, we just wanted to see them and hear them talk about. You stuff were you were just a fan of them themselves. Yeah, okay. yeah. I was I was just a fangirl, um, <laughs> and I went there and was like, it just really made the world of podcasting seem like much more down to earth, which it is. Um, you know, and and just much more, uh, much more accessible than I had previously thought. Sure. Um, yeah. So it just kind of humanized it a little bit, and I was like, "Oh, hey, I could do that." Yeah. And here we are. That's awesome. I, I also love the idea of imagining like the podcast version of a scene girl. <laughs> like, uh, you ever go to like emo bands? concerts and you have the scene girls who like their hair is like super over the top and they have like three shirts somehow that are all the band (laughs) t-shirts yeah yeah i want the podcast version of that coming to my live shows absolutely (laughs) we'll make it happen (laughs) yeah um okay so uh let's dive in to sean stewart and I'm going to yes. try so flipping hard not to say Patrick Stewart every single time. <laughs> <laughs> so I know on Between Lewis and Lovecraft, you talk about uh, the author's lives a lot. Uh-huh. Um, I, Sean Stewart hasn't had a particularly interesting life. Right. So we're mostly going to talk about like his career trajectory, if that's cool. That's totally fine. This is this episode uh, is about you and I talking about what you enjoy. It's If you want to talk about his life, we can talk about his life. If you want to just talk about the books, that's totally fine, too. I, I'm here to nerd out with you, basically. That's what I want to have Sweet. happen. Yeah. I'm all about that. <laughs> so, so tell me about Sean Stewart, not Patrick Stewart. Okay. Not Patrick Stewart, and he is not a knight, not has not been knighted. Um, so Sean Stewart is a, a fantasy sci-fi author. Um, his first novel was in 1992. Um, I did not discover his works until mm, about 2006. Um, so this is after he had written the bulk of all of his major works. Yeah, because right? he kind of cuts off after 2006. Like, there's only two more books after that, right? Yeah. So 2006 is uh, when he kind of, like, made another shift in his career. But we'll uh, we'll get to that. <laughs> oh, that's coming. <laughs> that's coming. It's on the agenda. Um. So the the first book of his that I've read, I always say is my favorite book because, again, it was like babies for Sean Stewart. Uh-huh. Um, this was Galveston, written in 2000. Um, and it's set in the same world as one of his other books, uh, which, again, we'll get to. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's, it's about um, 
like it's set in Galveston, Texas, obviously. Um, I think he lived in Texas at the time or he grew up in Texas. I don't know. An, an he, was in Can- he was in Texas, then he was in Canada, and then he was in oh, Texas okay. again, and then he moved to uh, Northern California. It's a whole thing. But um, yeah, so Galveston, set in Texas, and the whole premise of this world is that it was kind of like wrecked in part by a tidal wave of magic um, that kind of like devastated certain areas. Um, So Galveston is in this unique position where half of it is kind of in like this constant magical carnival where everyone's like, you know, kind of uh, like a like a caricature of their former self right sure and they like don't really have as much autonomy as they would uh in the other half of the quote-unquote real world where the rest of galveston lives um you know like a lot of their homes were destroyed a lot of uh like food sources have died out and it's just kind of like this this really depressed version of its former self right um so so you're saying like the town is cut in half basically by magic and yeah normalcy and and both sides are aware of the other side correct okay so it's not like uh it's not like oh what's on the other side of that wall oh we don't talk about that like they (laughs) they live almost in you know i don't know what the right not unity because it sounds like they're not united right so the magical portion of Galveston, they're like these people become more or less unable to leave, right? Like once you've been there so long, you just you can't leave. And there's like this moon god that is uh, he's like the overlord of the magical world, right? Um, so they end up like losing someone to the carnival side of Galveston. Okay. And so the the whole book culminates in a really like I say epic poker game, <laughs> like it's an epic poker match between the main character and the moon god Momus. <laughs> okay. Um and it's it's just like there there's so much to this like admittedly not very long book uh it's it's fucking wild like, I'm, I'm not gonna lie i'm literally looking it up to see how long it is <laughs> so i can see yeah, like I, is this worth I me have checking it to out? my left right here it is 454 pages okay but um, it's, is that a see i don't like pages because uh generally like you can have a trade paperback that's you know pocket size and, yeah. and it's 450 but if you have the hardback version i mean this is a beefy boy is it uh, okay it, it's like it's a standard like i don't know like a small notebook size okay um at 454 okay yeah let's see but I, i'm gonna just type in word count let's see if i can get a word hmm. count on it yeah i'm kind of a nerd for that sort of thing because I write by by word count, not by pages. Yeah, no, that's that's smart. Um, I don't see anything easily readily available, so I'm just gonna move along because nobody needs to <laughs> l- listen to me look at something on the internet. 
<laughs> yeah. Hey, guys, you want to listen to us Google some stuff? <laughs> clickety, clickety, click. Oh, okay. <laughs> clickety, clickety, click. Hmm, yes. <laughs> okay. So, so it's it's a it's a good-sized book, though. Yes. Yeah. Um, it's But, I mean, it sounds to for me to describe it it sounds like it's it's a series or something sure. like a maybe a short like trilogy or something but yeah it's um it's really intense um they they just do like Sean Stewart does such a good job depicting number one like flawed heroes or anti-heroes or whatever you want to call them mm-hmm. um none of none of his characters are like ah, yes, this this person is so extremely likable. It's like, of course, they have redeeming qualities and things that make you relate to them and root for them and stuff, but just like making these realistic characters um, and also exploring like strained relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, there's like a recurring theme of like strained family relationships and just like, handling that in a really meaningful and careful way you mean like uh like families that some people have this magical thing going on with them and then some members of the family that are normal and then they have to kind of work around that um that is the case in some of his books yeah but i'm just more like realistic like in the real world like you know, people who have difficult relationships with their parents or, mm, okay. you know, have have a difficult past or something um, just does a really good job of, you know, plumbing into those and handling them in a in a really thoughtful way. Yeah. So it's not just like the fantasy form of of weird relationships. It's real, right. real weird relationships that people really can can deal with. And resonate yeah. with, yeah, absolutely. Okay, that's cool, and I I think that's really important with a lot of like fantasy books nowadays, where, um, especially one set in you know like what's supposed to be our world, but you know touched yes. somehow. Like it's so yeah. easy to take a fantasy theme and make that the um, the relationship thing. Like, oh, my brother's a half frog, and. I have yeah. to, I have to deal with the fact that my brother's a freak and I have to feed him flies every morning. And <laughs> um actually this is a great idea. I'm going to type that down. Um <laughs> <laughs> TM TM TM. Yeah. Uh <laughs> That sounds it sounds like like a goosebumps book or something. <laughs> my frog <laughs> brother. Um but like being able to have a fantasy world and magic and all of that and then still be able to deal with issues of like I don't like my parents or like you know the the i like this guy but he likes somebody else sort of thing like to mm-hmm. be able to deal with real life issues with the backdrop of fantasy i think that's super cool yeah and that's i mean that's what's so appealing about neil gaiman right is that oh, yeah. he he makes a believable world uh adds some fantastical elements to it and then puts these really believable characters with like rich relationships into it yeah did you end up hearing did you end up listening to our episodes on neil gaiman at all i i have listened to every episode of your podcast oh really oh that's so yeah. nice <laughs> thank you um yeah like i went i went off for a bit on mm-hmm. on stuff and like and i 
genuinely when we were recording i was almost tearing up when i was talking about shadow and his his motivations in the book because it hit me so hard um and and it wasn't it had basically nothing to do with the fantastical parts of that book it had everything to do with a man who has been broken by the betrayal of his wife like Mm -hmm. that is like oh yeah there's thor and you know odin but that's not the important part to me like how do you write a book like that yeah absolutely um and that's that's the mark of a good book for me it's like can it make me cry yeah (laughs) can it make me cry big walrus tears because there's got to be something like so touching in it that i just it just brings me to tears yeah and i was going to even say the way you're describing this book it sounds very neil gamish you know in the Mm -hmm. the playing a card game with you know a moon god where that yeah almost exact sort of situation happens in american gods um yeah so i i think that's really cool so do you think fans of Neil Gaiman would would really respond well to this to this book? Hands down, yeah. Um, I, I think that most of Sean Stewart's work would really resonate with people who enjoy Neil Gaiman, specifically if if you enjoy American Gods. I know it's kind of divisive for some Gaiman fans, sure. right? Yeah, because um, it's it's a little a little less whimsical. <laughs> Than, than a lot of Gaiman's other work. Oh, yeah. Um, it's more straightforward and darker. Like, without... Yeah, it's a lot grittier. Yeah. 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 But, um... What about the rest of Stewart's work? Yeah, so his first book was Passion Play in 92. That was a heavy sci-fi novel. Um, so what's, what's a heavy I, sci-fi novel? heavy sci um i mean it's it's not just like oh we have like some sci-fi elements it's like the equivalent of high fantasy right so you have like realist fantasy and then you have high fantasy this is basically like high science fiction right where it's like they're they're really it's real intense (laughs) sci-fi okay i always i always find the the topic of diving into genres with different people really interesting I've had one guy straight up, like, he's like, all right, high fantasy is this. Low fantasy is this. And I'm like, okay, so everything's high fantasy then. (laughs) Because by his definition, he's like, high fantasy is when, you know, the fate of the world is at stake. I was like, great, so everything's high fantasy. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) <laughs> like it it always is. I was like Harry Potter's high fantasy. Well, Harry Potter's more urban high fantasy. I was like, okay, you're going to start mixing <laughs> together things. This is not fair. Like, uh, okay. I mean, yeah, it's like it's the same as people who really like get into like splitting hairs over musical genres and stuff. I don't oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's helpful to an extent to know that this is like kind of heavy sci-fi right yeah yeah. um just so you get a sense of like what you're in for um so this book is set in america right and it's been transformed by uh what's called the redemption presidency um so they kind of fall under the rule of christian fundamentalists Mm. um so 
a, a bunch of the cities like fall into decay. So a lot, a lot of this is a lot a- of his work is like has like a post-apocalyptic feel in a lot of ways. Um, not all of them, but this was yeah, written just- in 1992, not two years ago, right? Correct. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Ouch. Ooh, Too soon. <laughs> political burns. Um, but we have the the, the novel central, centers around a bounty hunter named Diane, um, and she is basically an empath who allow, and she's able to tap into the emotions of others, and that like that helps her investigate these crimes and you yeah. know come up with leads and stuff. Yeah, that's cool. um, but yeah, it's it's just a really interesting uh like it's like i said it's just really like heavy sci-fi um and it's it's a fun read but i think i would say that this is one of my least favorite sean stewart books i love it i it's a really really enjoyable read but um it's not i don't think he really gets to develop like the kind of intense relationship drama Oh, okay. uh, that he that he does in his other works. I mean, there is something to be said that it's his first book, right? Like he. Oh, for sure. He probably he's a good writer, but then you know, good enough to get published. But then, you know, as he goes out more, meets more people, reads more stuff, and and practices and and experiments, you know, you just become a better writer. Um, mm-hmm. I know. I read, I'm on the fifth Harry Potter book right now. Um, I've been on the fifth Harry Potter book for the past five years, but that's not the point. Um, <laughs> I, I, when I read, I read the first three within like probably a couple of months and you mm-hmm. can see an active change between the first book's writing and the third book's writing. Like, yeah. It is beyond uh, amazing how much better she becomes as a writer when yeah. she's when she writes Prisoner of Azkaban and I think it's just because she she probably written the first book and then by the time she published the first book she's already written the second one and mm-hmm. and then she becomes famous and she's meeting people and learning more and more and more and then she starts yeah. on Prisoner and it's just all of that knowledge suddenly something clicked and she's just a she's just a better writer in general yeah and that doesn't take anything away from no, the original work. I, I still love the first Harry Potter more than anything. Like, I mean, Prisoner is my favorite, but I'm going to read Harry Potter one to my kids. I'm not going to be like, oh, it's a shitty book. I'm not going to read you that one. <laughs> she wasn't at her peak yet. <laughs> we don't read that pre-Prisoner uh, uh, Rowling in this house. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh you ready for 1994? <laughs> yeah, uh, let's do it. Let's jump into 94. Okay, let's put on our patch jackets and travel to 1994 when Sean Stewart wrote his next novel, Nobody's Son. Um, so this is a high fantasy novel. Um, okay. So it's it's basically like so this guy uh, who is basically just like a commoner right in this uh, high fantasy setting. Um, he goes on an adventure and breaks the spell of this place called the Red Keep. 
that's the front half of the book. Okay. And he gets a reward for breaking the spell of the Red Keep. Um, and he name he can name anything he wants. Uh, and he names the king's daughter as Ooh, his reward, classic. right? So that's that's like the end of Act One. Um, act Two is just mostly exploring like the the difficulties of that relationship, right? Mm. Um, both uh, interpersonal within the marriage and the strain that it causes, like within the kingdom that they live in. Wait, um, Britt, so are you saying that? When you treat your spouse as property that you've won, that that can cause friction between you and your spouse. Right. I know. Wild concept. (laughs) I got to go talk to Becca. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it's it's just really interesting. Um, I I really like how the book just kind of like changes tone kind of midway through. Uh Uh-huh. Um, just, just goes from, you know, being like a fantasy novel about an adventure. And then it's like, this marriage really sucks. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's interesting. I wonder if he, that's what he like planned on going into it with, or if it just developed that way. Yeah. I, I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. Uh, Sean Stewart is, uh, I've actually have emailed him and received a response before. You Ooh, know, so. that's always yeah, super no, exciting. No big deal. Um, <laughs> yeah, I just like reached out telling him like how much his works meant to me and stuff. And he was like, I, I asked like, where's the next book? Basically, <laughs> this was in like 2012 after uh, it, like three years after he had written his probably like last ever book um and he was like yeah no i don't do that no mo <laughs> yeah and i'm sure um, i'm sure he's like he's like oh finally someone asked for it so now i can write it you know yeah, i was just waiting for someone to of ask course. me <laughs> yeah he was just holding his breath waiting for my email yeah um but yeah like uh aside from like i there's not like a whole lot uh like since he's not a hugely popular author, like there, there's not a whole lot about like you know what idea and intention was behind this book, right? Um, so I suppose we'll never know unless I email him again. <laughs> you can just email him. Just be like, hey, yeah. hey, bro, uh, I talked about you on a podcast, so now I deserve to talk to you personally more. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. What do you think? Um, what do you think Sean Stewart would think if he ever found this episode of this podcast, like you talking about him as his I favorite? I think he'd be like, your favorite. "This chick is doing a really bad job of summarizing my books." <laughs> you know, that's okay because then maybe he'll reach out to me and be like, "You know what? I need to do it." And be like, "You know, that's great. That's a great idea." Yeah. We'd love to talk to a, a, a real author. That'd be great. And then I'll just I'll just have you be my I'm using air quotes producer for that episode. <laughs> I'll just be like screaming with my <laughs> mic muted. Yeah. <laughs> just listening in. <laughs> That'd be great. So yeah. uh so I see from my Wikipedia page that I have pulled up, he's got oh man, he's got what, one, two, three, four Four more books until we get to Galveston. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we have to go through all of the 90s to get to Galveston. Yeah. Uh, which was my entry point. Okay. 
So um, can we can we skimp over those a little bit? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Um, so we had 95, 96, 97, and 98. He wrote Resurrection Man, another realism, like a fantasy realism novel. Um, 96. This is Cloud the same. End. The Resurrection Man is the same world, according to what it says here, the same world that Galveston takes place in, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. This was like the foundational book uh, for the world that Galveston is set in. Okay, cool. Um, And then we have like another slightly higher fantasy book called Cloud's End in 96. Uh, We have The Night Watch, which was another in the same world as Resurrection Man in Galveston. But these are not, uh, This it's not a direct sequel or prequel to either of these other books. It's just in the world. No. Yeah, you don't have like overlapping characters, but you have like the same constructs and big events that have happened are shared with. Yeah, yeah, like things that have shaped the world. That's genuinely one of the coolest ideas. Like just be able to play in a world like you spend so much time creating it. Why not play Mm -hmm. in it, you know, for as much as you can. Exactly. Yeah. And it's it's really it's fun to be like, ooh, I remember that from your resurrection man or whatever yeah yeah that's cool yeah um so there's like not really cross-pollination between the stories other than like you know major world events and ideas and stuff sure um and then we have mockingbird which is another standalone this is a a realist fantasy novel as well that's the one where Um, katniss gets into the hunger games again right (laughs) <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, and then we reached Galveston in 2000. Um, and then after that, Perfect Circle uh, is a magic realist fantasy novel. Um, and then <laughs> we take a real weird turn. Yeah, I'm looking around at 2004. This going, going, wait, what? Did I read that right? Uh- okay. <laughs> so. No, like even more than is on the Wikipedia page, he kind of takes like a weird, weird turn. Um, So in 2004, there is an ARG alternate reality game that's Uh released called I Love Bees. Um, Now, hardcore gamers (laughs) will will probably recognize the name I Love Bees um, and don't really know that Sean Stewart was like, he was the main writer of the ARG. Okay. Um, Real so quick, this, uh, for, for someone who is a dummy head, what the yeah. fuck is an alternate reality game? Okay. Or is um, it augmented so an, reality game? Uh, it, it's, it can be either. Augmented alternate reality game. It's, it's usually just like where um, some sort of storytelling element is presented to you in your real world everyday life right so um i love bees had so many different elements to it where you know as part of the story was told like by like you had to solve different clues uh to figure out that a call was going to be received on this payphone at this particular um like these particular geographic coordinates right okay 
Um, so that's where you get part of the story. And you are just getting like different clues and different pieces of this puzzle from various different mediums in the quote unquote real world, right? So there are like websites that contain pieces of like of this alternate reality game. Huh. Um, so you, you, you use those clues like progressively to get to the end of the story, which is basically like it's it's telling the story that sets up for Halo 2. Oh, what? Um, Seriously? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. So it was um it was just like it was so elaborate and like so many people participated in this. Um and it was just kind of like a like an underground global sensation. Right. Um of just like a bunch of fucking nerds who are like, yeah, Halo 2. Um, and they just have to like, I mean, it, I don't think it was like super obvious at the very beginning that this is what it was like a, a viral marketing campaign for. Right. Um, but I mean, it, this was all commissioned by Microsoft, right? Who published Halo 2. Right. And uh, yeah, so Sean Stewart, who at the time was part of 42 entertainment this is the studio that produced i love bees and right. he was the main writer for at the time um so it, it won a ton of awards um and you know kind of helped spawn other like kind of like reignited a passion for the arg and for viral marketing for games like inventive viral marketing like this right something that's going to be not just eye-catching but an experience that you can tell people about so when you're like oh yeah i love halo 2 it's not just halo 2 that you love it's the experience of finding out or understanding halo 2 a little bit more yeah yeah that's yeah cool. i mean it's uh it it's completely wild like how big and elaborate this was i i would encourage you to check out you can actually there's there's an rss feed that i will send to you where you can like download all of the audio parts of the story that's told in i love bees so you can just like put it in your podcatcher and just and, listen to it yeah listen to it serially ha, that's super cool yeah i know i just found that out today um so I haven't I still don't know like the full story uh behind oh. I love bees. I'm not particularly like that deep into Halo 2 or really any Halo IP. Brit, I just got a genius idea. What's that? We we collaborate with other podcasts and we mm -hmm. put together a whole story like and you can find bits of it in each other's podcasts. And then, like, Ooh. when you're, like, when you learn about one, it takes you to a website or a link or something, and then you have to, like, you, uh, it gives you, like, the the name or the number of the next podcast you have to listen to, and you have to listen to the whole thing yeah. and find the bit where the story's played, and then, like, you <laughs> enter in the time code or something, and, like, yeah, huh? Yeah. So then, ah. Uh. Uh, <laughs> man if only i had actual time to do shit like this <laughs> you know i could run this by editor andy i bet they'd be really interested in making an actual arg yeah who knows would maybe that, this dream can become a reality would that be technically an arg 
Yeah. I mean, if if you've got like different, uh, like different places that you're sending people to get information uh, that's like presented in the context of just like the real quote unquote regular world. Right. Like basically like burying Easter eggs into everyday mundane stuff. Yeah. And like making people solve a puzzle that way. That's 100% an ARG. Oh like, man, my, my brain is going to be thinking about this for so <laughs> long now. I'm going to be, I'm going to come to you. I'm going to look like uh, Charlie Day with his, his crazy red rope. <laughs> the uh, whiteboard. Yeah, the whiteboard. The, so yep. I'm just going to be like, Brit, I figured it out. I got it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's cool. That's really cool. So he yeah. he wrote this. Did he write any other ARGs or is it just that Abs- one? Yeah, that's actually like, that's what he said to me in the response email he sent was like, hey, I'm like, focusing more on alternate reality type storytelling oh okay so he left 42 entertainment which was the studio that microsoft commissioned to make this right um and then he founded fourth wall studios with some other guys from 42 entertainment um and they made they made one called the beast uh, which uh, I have no idea what that one's about, like okay. to be totally candid. Um, but they also did an alternate reality marketing campaign for a Nine Inch Nails album. Okay. Um, that was apparently pretty popular. <laughs> <Do> so, you... <laughs> I've heard of this artist that is very popular, apparently, with the young <laughs> folks. Well, I. <laughs> <laughs> I meant the ARG, not the artist. Oh, oh okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I've heard of this nine-inch nails <laughs> fellow. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but yeah, the, they but just the had, ARG like, was popular. Yes, okay. the ARG that accompanied their album release was was quite popular. Um, but yeah, that's just kind of like became the the turning point for sean stewart making like more abstract storytelling like less straightforward than like printed word yeah and you can kind of see so it says year zero which is the arg for nine inch nails um Mm -hmm. that came out in like 2007 and then it looks like his last book came out in 2008 2009 Oh, okay. So Kathy's Ring is his is his last book. I see it now. I just yeah. I just scroll so, down. <laughs> it's interesting with the um with his written works because after Perfect Circle in two thousand four, which was the same year he did the arc for Halo, um, he also the same year writes a Star Wars fan yeah. fiction called Yoda Dark Rendezvous never read it <laughs> wait it's a fan fiction I, it looks official i mean it's it's like eu right extended universe oh, stuff. right now so, it's nothing nothing exists anymore right so you know <laughs> right um disney <laughs> i actually had a friend who's like really really into the star wars eu was like oh yeah that's that's a great book <laughs> like okay good i'm glad he's still like you know keeping a keeping his quality up there even in his uh 
Star Wars dabbling. Yeah, it's I, just, just such a weird departure from everything else he's done. I uh, I went to a Comic Con uh, a few years back with my wife, and it's like a really small one on the on the West Coast, like on the at the beach. And we show up, and and they're like making this big hurrah for this author that was coming through, and he wrote a Star Wars book. And literally, that's where my <laughs> that's where I am done caring. Right? Once I <laughs> once somebody's like, "Oh, it's a Star Wars book," I'm like, "Great! There's so much Star Wars shit out there. Couldn't care less. Like, I I enjoy it as a movie. I enjoy talking yeah. about it, but I'm not gonna read a book. It's just not gonna happen. So yeah, <laughs> so I get that. So I, I was like, all right, cool. That guy's done. I'm going to go talk to that person who has, you know, the full Ghostbusters set up. And we're going to go talk to that guy. Uh, and we go yeah. do the whole the whole thing. And we avoid the Star Wars booth. And then we leave. We get back uh, home. And we go and tell uh, my mother-in-law about it. And she's like, oh, who is the Star Wars guy? And I was like, I don't know. He wrote something about Thrawn or something. And I bring him up. And she's like, oh, you, you were there with him. Uh, and I'm like, uh, what is that a big deal? She's like, Thrawn is the greatest bad guy in all of the Star Wars lore. And I'm like, oh, oh he, he is? I thought Darth Vader. <laughs> like, no, Thrawn's the new good, like really scary bad guy. I was like, oh shit. Apparently I was standing literally <laughs> feet, like feet away from this guy who, if I bring it up to any Star Wars nerd would just like. I don't know. I couldn't believe how much people like this guy. I had no idea. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. <laughs> so Star Wars EU, apparently a really big deal in the underground. Yeah. And I think it was also a big deal because Thrawn, and I think maybe specifically the book that he had written, is one of very, very, very few books that actually came over to... Um, the canon stuff when it all swapped over to Disney. Oh, and so okay. I think that might be why people like it so much because it okay. it like actually stuck around. Yeah, that's cool. So it's like more widely accepted EU. Exactly. Cool. Um, so, but he, so you're saying that he's doing all these ARGs and he's starting to get into that, but then he does release these three books, the Kathy's book, Kathy's ring, Kathy's yes. key. What are, Let me tell you about these. Yeah, was, these are <laughs> these are really interesting. Um, I have only read the first one. I was like, you know, he released like some young adult novel. I'm still gonna read it, right? Like, I'm I'm just thirsty for it. <laughs> just <laughs> give me any Sean Stewart, I will take it. Yeah. Um. So he releases Kathy's book in 2006, and it includes like this packet that contains like different letters and just like pieces of quote unquote evidence, like phone numbers, pictures, birth certificates, um, Kathy in this journal that she's written um, has like notes in the margins and just like a bunch of like little clues and nuggets in there um, where you get to like basically help solve this mystery of like, you know what what went down right in this novel and uh so apparently it was popular enough that he made two more um so it's a it's a trilogy we have kathy's book kathy's key and kathy's ring um so it's it's just really interesting to see that he's incorporated 
these alternate reality elements into like his actual printed work. Sure. So what um, was it about though? You said you read the first book. Why didn't you go back for the second? Um, I, I think just, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I should go back and read them. Um, yeah, I was just like, oh, that's cool. I don't think I knew there was a second one for a very long time. Mm. Um, and I have kind of gotten out of the trend of reading physical media yeah. very much. Um, so I'm like, oh, I can't get it as an ebook or an audio book, so I'm not really interested. <laughs> um, I definitely should uh, just like from a completionist standpoint, like go back and reread Kathy's book and then grab a copy of Kathy's key and Kathy's ring. Uh-huh. Yeah. I think that'd be They skew a little young on the YA mm. spectrum as well. So and- I guess I felt kind of silly reading Kathy's YA. book in the first place. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I, I mean I get that. If it's not your genre then then that's fine. Um but I was gonna ask earlier and I think this is you bringing that up is is a good point of why or where do you think his other books like Galveston and Resurrection Man and and all this what what age range what demographic are these really geared towards um I mean I would say like older millennials at this point sure um I mean like I guess the same target audience you would get with some of Neil Gaiman's more serious works like I mean obviously there's stuff like uh Coraline or like the graveyard book and stuff that like trends a little younger um and then I don't know like I I would just say probably it's it's just like if you did a Venn diagram yeah of like Neil Gaiman fans and Sean Stewart fans, it would almost be like just a circle. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I, I think that there's always a good, there's always room for a younger um, entry level book for an author. That way, yeah. you know, there is the sense that someone can grow up with an author, you know? Yeah. Um, I got fucked up as a kid and I Uh-oh. did not have that opportunity really. Like, in eighth grade, my dad wanted me to read more, and he gave me a book about um, demons and angels that were fighting, and then you know, like in this small town, and there was some. It was some interesting material for a thirteen-year-old to read, um, yeah. and he I, and I loved it. So I I read that one, and then its sequel, uh, and then the the third one within that same world, uh, sort of thing. And then, and my dad's like, wow, you really like reading. Here is uh, another book that you might like. And it's called Dead Air. And holy fucking hell, he should not have let me read that book. Um, I've never heard of it. It is, it's written, it, 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 all these books are Christian, technically. Um, oh. But it was written by a guy named Bob Larson. And it is about a radio uh dj host guy who like does like kind of like a rush limbaugh type thing where he's just arguing with people on the radio uh okay and he ends up getting a call from a little girl who's like hey um i was kidnapped and i need help 
and you're the only I can hear the people outside with listening to your show so you're the only phone number I know um oh shit and he's like whatever fuck you and then he like hangs up on her and then she calls back the next night and so then he starts to like investigate it and then he finds mm-hmm. out that this little girl was kidnapped by a cult and her mom was like almost killed and put into an a, to a coma and in a hospital uh oh, nice. and then like it was her dad who actually kidnapped her because he's the leader of a cult and then they just get into basically what cults can do to little girls and like they get Oof. into it and i'm 14 years old reading about this and i'm like what (laughs) like i mean as a 14 year old i was like oh this is super cool and interesting but then i reread it when i was in my mid-20s and i'm like why why the (laughs) fuck would my dad let me read this this is so (laughs) fucked up i should have been reading harry potter (laughs) yeah exactly uh so i never really like i after that i got into like c.s lewis and that was Mm -hmm. a little bit uh, more interesting to be able to read him and then grow up with him because you know Narnia yeah. was for younger audience, and then you get into the Screw Tape Letters and the Great Divorce yeah. and and all that, and so that was the author really that I grew up with. Um, yeah. After being exposed to some hardcore shit. <laughs> after all your trauma, yeah. Yeah, it was nuts, man. Yeah. We've all had some literary trauma, I think. <laughs> <laughs> what would you say is your biggest literary trauma moment? Um, I think the book that hurt me the most was The Kite Runner. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've, I've never read it, and I think I don't plan on yeah. it. Yeah, there, there are just like some graphic depictions of things that I would rather not talk about. Mm. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, I just don't think I was expecting it. I mean, it's, it's like part of the story right like it's a vehicle for the story i get it i just don't think that it needed to be uh as graphic intense and graphic as it was yeah Yeah. and that's always an interesting conversation of of you know what the author's job is to put you there right yeah and so what's that line Uh, should there be a line or shouldn't there be and um I think it's really interesting. I think it's really interesting to put people through that in a book, especially when they've committed to a book to where they're not going to just stop reading. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, it's it's like similar to the way that I feel about like shows like Black Mirror. That's the probably the primest example I can think of where it's like it's intended to upset you. right? Yeah. Like that's part of the storytelling device. And I get that, but it's just, it's not for me. Oh, 100%. And, I agree with that. Becca and I watched the first episode and we were done. Yeah. I I felt sick after that first episode. Yeah, we and did like, too. Yeah. I don't like to talk about it. Like, Did you, in, did you continue, did you continue to watch it? <sighs> you know, unfortunately I did. Uh, uh, okay. I watched, I've watched a total of three full episodes. Okay. Um, so I watched the first two. I was like, you know what? Some people are telling me that the first episode was the worst episode. Episode two had like, there was like a lot of sexual violence. Mm -hmm. um, And it was just like, you know, again, intentionally upsetting. Um, And then I heard from, I heard through, through the, the by grapevine that um, 
San Junipero uh, was just like an adorable like vaporwave esque episode about like cute bisexual ladies, and it's it it was it was actually like a mostly wholesome episode. Like the end was a little depressing. Oh, it's um, Black Mirror. Of course it is. Yeah, I mean, of course they they had to upset us and hurt us in some way, but yeah. for the most part, it was it was like a really sweet story yeah um so that's like the only redeeming quality of black mirror for me so far yeah man. Um, i i beck and i watched the first episode not knowing i mean we knew i knew what it was i knew it was an anthology i knew that they were like trying to do a twilight with uh you know twilight zone with a sort of mm-hmm. technological twist to it and and all of that yeah and, and so we like to experiment with shows and see if we like them. And we started watching yeah. it. And the the biggest, obviously the biggest problem with that first episode is just how far they went. And, yeah. and that to me is <clears throat> the reason why I didn't ever go back and I won't ever go back to watch it. And I've had so many people say, but there's like after that it gets good or after, you know, they, do, they don't do that ever again. Or, you know, that's the worst one. And it's like, look, TV shows, just like people, because TV shows are a representation of the writers, mm-hmm. they have to earn my trust. And Absolutely. if you break my trust in the first conversation that you and I are having, I'm not going to continue to have a relationship yeah. with you. Um, no, it's how I treat agree. people and it's how I'm going to treat TV shows. And mm-hmm. they broke my trust because yeah. they... they constantly had a way to not show as much as they did and not exactly. go as far as they did and yeah. they still did it and it was to me they were like saying fuck you you put it you put in all this time and investment into this episode what are you going to do not finish it and then yeah. and they like it's almost a dare it's almost like you know yeah we dare you not to finish this episode and mm-hmm. then you you lose when you finish it and i'm like yeah, I. That's not cool, man. I'm not gonna spend the next what 13, 14 hours watching the show when you just pulled that rug out from under me in the first episode. Yeah, I I can't um, trust that you're not gonna go that far in every single episode. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Um, I think that authors too have like they have a certain level of responsibility for like taking care of their reader. Yeah. You know, like they have in mind who they're attracting to read this book or continue reading this book. Um, and like, yeah, it's just like they, they didn't take care of me. So I'm not gonna, <laughs> <laughs> I, they definitely didn't take care of me because like animal violence and, and bestiality and stuff like that's the number one way to like, get me to check the fuck out yeah man yeah like for for as prevalent as content warnings are these days like that is one of the most overlooked ones and i'm like uh, it's it's so upsetting to me for like stuff like that to be included in works even of fiction yeah but yeah well that we cannot end the episode on a bumming, you know, <laughs> note like that. So tell me, no. tell me, you you got into Sean Stewart. You read Galveston for the was the first book you read, right? Yeah. What was the moment where you decided 
this guy's my favorite author. Um, well, I mean, Galveston obviously like lit a fire, right? Um, so I worked at a library at the time. Um, so I immediately was like, you know, getting inner library loans and stuff to like get <laughs> a hold of all of his books. Right. Um, I, I discovered Galveston at a half price books, by the way. I think I got this book for like seven dollars. Um, okay. But yeah, I um, I just started. I started at the beginning. Um, I read Passion Play next, and I was like, okay, okay, this is good. And then Nobody's Son was also very good. Like it has it has that uh, you know, like the earliest depiction that he has of like that that relationship uh, drama and depth that he that he really understands and takes care of those complicated relationships. Mm. And then I, I think Resurrection Man was when it really cemented like okay, this guy knows, like, how to treat his characters. Uh, he knows how to write a, a convincing setting and, you know, convincing players in that setting. Right. Um, yeah, I think Resurrection Man is the is the one what done did it. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, I, I love when you kind of, that, that moment of clarity of like, wow, this is my favorite, you know? Yeah. And I, and I had that with... Uh, C.S. Lewis while I read The Great Divorce because yeah, every other sentence he he writes I'm like oh shit that's cool or fuck <laughs> yeah I agree with that or you know yeah. like that clears that issue up for me a little bit and it's these, these epiphanies that just kind of start popping when I read The Great Divorce mm-hmm. um, and then and then with Lovecraft I you know uh it's just the the atmosphere like the, yeah the moment when i'm i'm at work you know listening to an audiobook i've got headphones on and i'm just going to town on some t-shirts you know and i'm doing my thing <laughs> and then some guy you know one of my coworkers comes in and touches me on the shoulder and i freak the fuck out <laughs> because yeah. like i'm terrified i'm like i'm not standing there being scared i'm just so absorbed i'm doing my thing and then being touched i jump out of my own skin Yeah, that's when I knew I was like he his atmosphere is so perfect. This has got to be one of my favorite authors. Yeah, you have creators like Lovecraft and like uh, HR. Do you pronounce it Giger or Geiger? Who? I don't familiar. It's he's an artist. Um, They just I'll I'll send you a link. Whatever. Swiss painter. Um, What? Swiss painter HR Geiger. Yeah. Um, so he did like he inspired the original uh, alien. OK. Design. I can see that. Um, so like the, the sci fi series alien, not like the big green guy that right. you see given the peace sign or whatever. Yeah. With his elongated um, head and all that. Yeah. So like if you if you look at the body of work of H.R. Geiger or or the body of work of Lovecraft, they basically like invented this, this new genre. Like they're, they're the living definition of a vibe, Yeah, you know? Yeah. Like, like H.R. Geiger is a vibe. Lovecraft is like a whole atmosphere, a whole genre 
that he just like I mean like people refer to stuff as Lovecraftian as like a very clear descriptor of like you know the kind of atmosphere and mood and atmosphere that that work is evoking yeah exactly and now that I see his stuff I'm uh Geiger stuff I'm kind of creeped out it's kind of fucked up (laughs) yeah no his his stuff is really uh it's really out there yeah it is man that's cool um, yeah well Brit, this is a much better ending I think than talking about Black Mirror so we're definitely yeah. just gonna <laughs> thank you so much for hanging out with me I really appreciate it of course yeah this has been a delight thank you so much for having me yeah and uh, you guys can definitely check out um, and I want to make sure I've been saying it I've been saying Contrivus right Contrivance yeah Contrivance yeah got it contrivance podcast where did that name come from again um so contrivance is just like a really fun to say synonym for invention okay okay yeah now i've got my contrivance here (laughs) (laughs) um you guys can check out our podcast contrivance um podcast and you guys do it bi-weekly or weekly Every other week. Yep. Okay. Every other Wednesday, we release new episodes, and we've got a Patreon where you can find all kinds of fun bonus content. Yeah, super cool. You can, if you listen to, uh, you know, specific episodes, you might find um, hidden messages if you play it backwards, <laughs> and then, you know, that'll take you to a website yeah. where you'll find, um, I don't know. <laughs> I, was, I was trying to... Wish- we should create like uh go back in all of the episodes that you've been in like put little pretend easter eggs in there so that people can like try and solve a puzzle yeah man yeah yeah. but it'll like it'll like it'll lead them to a dead end or whatever like it goes absolutely nowhere we're gonna black mirror (laughs) them yeah it's just like the ultimate troll yeah uh we're gonna talk more about this later because i don't want to give too much away this is absolutely if this can happen i 100 percent want this to happen (laughs) uh i've got we've got other podcast friends we can try and make this uh a thing um but yeah thanks for hanging out with me i'm super excited i'm probably gonna go to the local bookstore down the road and and try and get a copy of galveston um just even just to have it to support Sean Stewart. Yeah. Strongly recommend. I think you'd really like it. Yeah, I think I would too. All right, guys, thanks for hanging out with us. And uh, I have no sign off. So that's that's it. That's my sign off. <laughs> Later, ghoul gang. <gasps> ghoul gang! Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> All this right. has been Ty Ty the Samurai and the Biz. <laughs> Smell you later. (laughs) Did you call yourself the biz? Yeah. Is that a thing? No. Oh, because I'm cool with it. Tie tie and the biz. If there's anything I can tell you, it's that the best place to hide is in your mind.